Hello and welcome to the podcast of Vineyard Church here in Maryville, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week, as well as our conversations episodes, which include interviews, special announcements, and in-depth teaching. You can visit vineyardchurch.us to learn more about us or to access the audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Well, good morning and hello. Good to see you guys. Uh, welcome to the Vineyard if you're a guest. My name's Aaron. Uh, just especially glad that you are here. Uh, I'd love for you to come say hi. I'd love uh, to meet you. We're going to get into the sermon here in just a minute, but we got uh, a couple of updates here. First, just little ones. I want everyone to stay focused exclusively on me. Don't look at anything else. There's nothing happening behind me. There's nothing to see here. Thanks, David. Uh, yeah. It's good with a guitar, good with a ladder. David, he can do it all. Uh, <laughs> a quick building update. Uh, by the way, I found out this week from, a, I had a few people tell me this actually, that whenever I say, hey, quick building update, everyone gets anxious and holds their breath and braces for bad news. I just want you to know I don't feel sorry because, for you because I feel that way every hour of every day always. <laughs> but I don't have any bad news. Everything's good. Uh, we, are, we are still on track. We're still praying for everything to work out. There's still stuff that's got to work out, all, and that will be the case all the way up until uh, we're celebrating that we're in there, but we're still on track. So uh, real, just a quick reminder, August 13th, our plan is to not have services in person. We will have church online on Sunday, August 13th. That's two weeks from today. And then that evening, we'll have an open house at the new place. You guys can come in, check things out, get the lay of the land, ask any questions you have, that type of thing. And then the following week, we will have our first service in the new building. That would be August 20th, service times 9.15 and 11 a.m. So we are on track uh, for that. But look, there's lots, there's still, there's like one million things that we're just hoping comes together and works out right. So please keep praying for God's hand to just intervene in the places where it's needed and, and all the stuff comes together the way that we hope that it would. One more thing, um, as you know, uh, we're signing up now for small groups. And uh, so we just take a few weeks, uh, twice a year, where I twist your arm and go full on salesman and beg and plead with you to sign up for a group. So everyone make eye contact with it. I wish I could get you all by the face right now. Sign up for a group. Sign up for a group. Please, please sign up for a group. It's so important that we stay connected with one another, that we make relationships. It's good to sit in rows. It's really good to sit in rows. Sitting in circles is better, all right? Circles are better than rows. Uh, so I want to encourage you guys uh, to do that. And then <clears throat> on your way out, we have a number of these groups are going to be studying this book together called How to Pray, a simple guide for normal people. And uh, we, this is, you know, we do this a few times a year as well, uh, where I just sort of force feed a book and I say, just read it, really, read the book, read the book. So this would be one of those books. They're available out there uh, for 10 bucks a piece, which is cheaper than you can buy them anywhere else. Uh, so if you haven't already, pick up one of these on your way out, especially if you're going to be in one of the groups that's studying it. But here's the thing. Even if you're not in a group that's studying this book, I would love for you to pick it up and read it. It's an easy read, but it's filled with lots of really intense, beautiful stuff. It's a great, great book. Um, and then uh, once we're in the new building, we're actually going to spend a few weeks teaching through the big ideas in this book. So it's, a, it's an important one to pick up. So I just encourage you to do that. Enough of that sales pitch. Let's get into the sermon, okay? 
Uh, we're in a series called Liberate, uh, where we're looking at uh, chapters 3 and 4 of the book of Galatians together. And in a little while, we'll get to chapters 5 and 6 uh, down the road. But um, we're focusing for these few weeks on chapters 3 and 4. And today, we're actually going to get to the end of chapter 4. We're actually going to cheat and go one verse into chapter 5. Don't tell anybody. Last week, um, I was kind of off note, and I said some stuff about gender. And then I said, hey... Uh, Next week, uh, so I'm not going to talk about gender now. I'll talk about gender next week. And then um, a lot of you sort of perked up and started looking around. And I thought to myself, good job, Aaron. Um, somebody's going to come to church just to talk about, just to hear about gender. And uh, that afternoon, I realized that's not true. Uh, that's the week after that. I said the wrong thing. Uh, I was reading for that sermon, but no, not, not, so that's not this week. So if you came here this week just all fired up and amped up and ready to talk about gender and you're ready for it, then the bad news is it's not today. Uh, the good news is you have another week for God to change your heart so that you come in <laughs> with some kindness and some gentleness. I actually don't think we're going to uh, ruffle feathers or anything, but um, uh, that is, I, I misspoke. I'm sorry. I did lie. I just didn't mean to. Uh, so please forgive me. Uh, next week. Uh, okay, if you haven't been with us for this series, here's a really quick recap of the previous messages, sort of a, a, a big idea. Um, there's an argument in the churches in Galatia over whether or not a Christian uh, has to keep all the law of Moses in order to be in good standing with God. And uh, the answer to that is clearly, profoundly, directly, no you do not have to keep all the law of Moses. We saw last week, Paul was explaining, that's actually, that's actually a pagan mindset. That's not a Christian way of thinking. Uh, and it's not a Jewish way of thinking. Some people go, oh, that's the way the Jews thought. It's, that's actually not, that's not Judaism either. That's paganism. So hear me. We are not trying to earn our salvation. That's a fool's errand. It cannot be done. Our hope is in Jesus alone, always, period. 100%. Of our salvation is by faith in Jesus. And that leaves, I did the math, exactly 0.0% for everything else combined. It is all by faith in Jesus. The default ideology of every major religion in the world but Christianity boils down to this. You got to earn it. If you want good things to happen, you, you got to be good. That's how you get there. And they talk about different ways, and there's different ideologies that go with it, and different perspectives. I understand I'm not trying to dishonor any of those things. But ultimately, the irreducible minimum is if you want it to go well for you, you got to be good, period. That's how you get nirvana, or that's how you get your 70 virgins, or that's how you do well in the next round of reincarnation, or that's how you get intergalactic oneness, or whatever it is that that particular faith is holding up as the destination. i got like six people with that one. Um, Whatever it is, you get there full stop by being good. That's the answer. Christianity, however, recognizes that not only are we not good, we're not ever going to get there either. There's no way we can get there on our own. And so the message simply is this. We place our faith and our hope in Jesus alone. We pledge our allegiance to him, and then in response, he makes us good. He gives us his righteousness, and he declares it to be so. We are righted before God. And then from there, 
because we're grateful that we have been forgiven and are in good standing with God, from there, we go and live well for the Lord because we're grateful and not because when it's the other way around, we're overcome with shame or fear. We receive the fact that we are delivered and then out of that, we do want to live well for the Lord, but it is to please him because we're grateful, again, not because we're afraid. Okay, so well and good, you might say. Got it. Uh, but inevitably, when you sort of lay it out like that, someone will raise a really, really good question, which is, okay, fine. Christianity's not about keeping the rules. Got it. Got it. But if that's the case, then what's the deal with all the rules? Like, why, what's that about? Like, if it's not about that, then why are they even in there? Okay? Okay, let me take a minute to explain that. That's what the latter is about, by the way. It's not just David being weird. Um, I, I want us to think about it like a ladder, or at least this is how we tend to think. We tend to think of the laws of God, the rules that he gives us, as steps or rungs on a ladder. And if, if we do the right thing, then we take a step up. And we do the right thing, we take a step up. We do the wrong thing, we take a step down. And we just move our way up. And, and hopefully, eventually, if we're good enough, long enough, then that ladder will go all the way to heaven. It's a stairway to heaven. And that's how we're going to be loved and received and accepted by God. So the mentality goes like this. Okay, I'm, I'm a good person. I haven't yelled at my spouse in like, I don't know, a while anyway, and I came to church this morning, so here we go. I made it to church. I was going to come to the 8.30, and I didn't make it, but I made it to the 10, so uh, I'm, at the, I'm at the 10. Good. You, you tried, everybody. That counts. Um, all right, so I'm a good person. I, I come to church. I'm relatively kind. That's cool. Uh, I, I tithe. I give money away, and, and I, give, I give offerings, and so that's got to count for a whole lot. And I pray and stuff. Like, I pray and I read the Bible. Oh, 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 here's you. Here we go. Aaron won't shut up about a small group, and I signed up for a small group. Hey, how about that? Now I'm getting even closer. I'm making my way. I'm being really good. I fast sometimes. I remember fasting once, so that counts. <laughs> People come to me when they need help or prayer, and so that makes me a really good person, too. There are other things, but I can see that some of you are starting to get nervous. <laughs> so I'm just going to stop here. I wouldn't be afraid to go another step. I would. I'm already afraid. Okay. But that's the idea. I'm going to be good. I'm going to do the right thing. If I do enough of the good things, eventually I will get there. And that is paganism. It doesn't, it's not Christianity, period. It's not Christianity, period. There is no mythical 11th commandment. If we keep them all, it gets us all the way to heaven. It doesn't work like that. And it doesn't work like that even a little bit. Okay, so then how do we think of the rules if they aren't a stairway to heaven? Let's think of them this way. Instead of thinking them as a ladder that we climb, think of them instead as, if you picture a railway, picture them as tracks to run on. Okay? So instead of making our way up to whatever it is that God wants us to be, one step at a time, instead, scratch that from your mind, the rules, the laws, the commands that God has given us, there aren't ways for us to earn our way to him. They are tracks for us to run on. There are things that keep us on the path so that we can move forward and do well in life, which is to say the rules are kindness. They're kindness. Our life, when things are really bad, what do we say? It's gone off track. It's gone off track. 
God tells us his values. He knows the things that are best for us. And because he loves us like any loving parent would, he gives us rules that help us stay on track so that we can thrive and do well in every aspect of life. Don't think of it as a ladder to climb. Think of it as tracks for us to run on. Does that make sense? Okay. (laughs) That wasn't a lot. Okay. Let's keep going, though, Uh, to our text now. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 is where we're going to begin. Uh, You may remember from a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about when God promised to make a great nation from Abraham through his lineage, and then that nation would then in turn bless all nations. And we said that's kind of the lens we need to understand all of Scripture through. Uh, So now what's happening, Paul's going to remind us of how that story almost went off the rails, how it almost went off track. So uh, verse 21, NLT. Tell me, you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife, one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Now, you could have stopped there. Look, we're three verses in. Um, if you haven't been offended at least twice so far, then you're probably not paying attention. You're like, wait, what? Did, he, did I just, in three verses, get slavery and polygamy? And this is our hero? <laughs> like, this is Father Abraham? What's, what's going on here? Um, that just means you're paying attention. Good job. Let me just quickly reference a couple of those things. One, I, I cannot get my head, or maybe you can, I can't get my head around just how vast the cultural distance is between the lives and the society in which we live now and, and that which thousands of years ago uh, Abraham and Sarah were in. I also want to point out um, that as weird and icky as some of those statements were, um, let's just point out, I'm not saying that they were okay. I'm just saying it was, it was different. This was hundreds of years before God even gave us the law. So... Adam and like that goes all the way. The only laws they had at that point were the ones that were given directly to Adam and Eve, right? Be fruitful, multiply, take care of the world, make things better. Like that was their sort of overarching thing. And so, without some direction, uh, what this is pointing out is not that that's okay. It's pointing out that people can get way off track without some tracks to run on. Okay. Um, and so uh, next week, actually, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about about oppression based on race and, race and gender and economic standing and like how is it possible that things like this can be found in scripture. We're going we're gonna to get there next week and we actually will get there next week. I, I checked. I, that's where we're going. Um, but you might read this and, and go, wait a minute, does the, does the Bible affirm these things? Because we're talking about polygamy and slavery and then it doesn't say, um, by the way, those things are awful. Okay, the Bible does not affirm those things, period. Okay, again, this is before we were given uh, the laws. And what's happening now is this is the first of many, 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 many times that we see in Scripture that when people do engage in these things, things go completely off the rails. And it's a horrible disaster every time. That's part of God's teaching to us in it. So this is a cautionary tale. All right, just wanted you to have that in mind. Now, verse 24, let's keep going. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, 
represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. Okay. Um, this is the story of Abraham and Sarah. That's what he's referencing back to. He's assuming they know the story. Um, and maybe you're not a church kid. You don't know the story. That's okay. Um, we'll, we'll get through it. But what happened is Abraham and Sarah, a very, very long time ago, they were promised a son by God. Um, and from that son, a great nation. Well, they waited and waited and waited for that to happen. And eventually they lost hope. And they figured maybe it's not going to happen. Um, Sarah, they believed, was too old to have a baby anyway at the beginning of the process. At one point, this, I can't believe I'm about to say this. At one point, Abraham refers to his blushing bride, Sarah, as being so old. And I just, this is in the Bible. So I'm, I, 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 you can't make this stuff up. Abraham said she was so old that she was as good as dead. It's in the Bible, okay? So Abraham, good guy, not the romantic type. <laughs> and we've already seen, okay, he hasn't really had Christ shapes understanding of relationships and marriage, but, you know. Okay, so not great. But that was the status at the beginning of things. Well, she's as good as dead, and we're supposed to have a child. And then years passed. And after a while, they give up, and they figure, oh, maybe God was mistaken, or he missed the opportunity, or... Or, more likely, maybe we heard him wrong. Maybe we were wrong about that. And they decided to take matters into their own hands. You know, be the miracle. So here's what happens. Abraham is then intimate with his servant, Hagar. Which, that I know is not great to hear. Here's what's surprising. Um, it was actually Sarah, his wife's idea. Um, and that's shocking. Again, let me point out massive cultural distance between that moment and this, just massive. And in that, again, not yet Christ-shaped society, there was an incredible amount of pressure that was placed on women to bear children, uh, to provide an heir uh, for the patriarch, okay? Just, an, just a crushing amount of pressure and if they were unable to do so, the blame was placed exclusively on them, which we know isn't actually the way it works, but that was their understanding. And then, if so, uh, just an enormous amount of shame. It was, it was an icky, broken part of that society. And Sarah, Sarah's feeling that like anyone else would. And so she goes, we got we to gotta do something. You need an heir. And so this idea happens. Abraham is intimate with Hagar. She gives birth to a son, and uh, they name him Ishmael. And so they kind of lean back and go, all right, we did it. Manufactured a miracle. Ta-da. Uh, God gets the score. Abraham and Sarah get the assist. Everybody wins. Um, except uh, God doesn't allow us to make edits to his plan, right? And all the way through the whole book, especially now in Galatians, but all the way through the whole Bible, we know that what God is looking for us always is looking from us always, is for the response of faith. And what this was was a, was a failure in faith. They didn't believe that God would do as, they, as he said he would do. And then, years later, still after that, God gives Abraham and Sarah the son, the biological son, that he had promised to them. And he was given the name Isaac. Now, just as a reference here, apparently Sarah was so old that she was as good as dead when this promise was made and it's 25 years later when it actually happened. So in case you were thinking, well, some, some, some women have a longer period. No, no, no. This was a miracle. This was an all-caps miracle, the hand of God, period. Okay, there's that story. Now back to Galatians and to Galatia. Paul compares 
that story to the situation that they're facing there in their churches. He says, Ishmael is the son of slavery. Isaac is the son of promise. And to be a Christian, he says, is to be a child of promise, not a child of slavery. And you might go, I don't, what are you saying? Let me just boil it down. Here's what he's saying. Okay, he's saying, guys, look, there's two systems, two religious systems. There's one in which we try to take matters into our own hands and we don't really put our faith in God. We think God needs our help in saving us. He needs our help in keeping his promises. Remember the ladder, we climb our way into God's acceptance and that full stop leads to slavery. And there's the second system. That's the one of faith where we trust God to rescue us and that leads to freedom every time. And he's saying, guys, if you're believing these false teachers, saying, I love you, you're just in the wrong system. You're in the wrong system if you think you have to earn your way into acceptance by God. I remind you of a little bit of math we did last week, if you remember when we played the fill-in-the-blank game. Um, the Judaizers, the group there with the false teachers, they, they said um, the way this works is you are obedient to God's law. You add to that faith in Jesus that leads to salvation. And Paul says, you got the right words. You just got them in the wrong order. You start with faith in Jesus. And with faith in Jesus comes salvation. It's a package deal. So faith in Jesus is salvation. So it's faith plus salvation. And it's out of that. That's what leads to obedience. We live well for Jesus, again, because we're grateful, not because we're afraid. Okay, Galatians now 4, verse 27. As Isaiah said, and I was responding to this story, Rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given now has break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. So uh, he is quoting Isaiah 54 here. I just want to pause. I think we might want to run past it, but this is not just an aside. I want to remind you what we said already. The inability to have children uh, carried tremendous shame on women in that context, just massive shame. And it was actually still the case in Jesus's day um, and to some degree in ours uh, as well. So here is what we see is very important. This is one of God's just absolute go-to moves. We see it all throughout scripture. Through some set of lenses, this is the story of scripture. Jesus goes, God goes to those who are broken, to those who are hurting, to those who have been labeled and shamed. And he comes to them, lifts them up, restores them, and reverses their fortunes, okay? That's, that happens, I mean, guys, just front to back, this is in the story of Scripture. I hope you understand that this is what Christ has done for you, okay? So he's just pointing that out. He has changed the fortune of Sarah, who was once marked by shame. By the way, I just want to say this, just in case somebody's mind goes there. In addressing Sarah's shame, God is not validating the really broken cultural dynamics that created that shame in the first place. Again, God is never the source of shame. He does not operate in it. He doesn't work that way. God does not use shame to motivate us. That's the devil's move. It's not God's. God will point out our sin because he wants us to be free and sin enslaves us. But hear me, he has no desire to motivate you or to manipulate you or control you with shame. It's not how he works, okay? Just not in his bag. Okay, Galatians now 4. Next three verses, 28 to 30. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law, just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac. 
the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what did the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. Okay, so again, just point something out. If you're not like super familiar with the Genesis story, uh, then you're probably starting to feel really bad for the slave and her son, uh, for Hagar and Ishmael. And if so, good job by you. You should feel that way. This is awful. Like it's like, what? This is gross. Are you kidding me? So I just want to tell you something. Uh, This is actually not a point in the sermon. I just want you to know this. You will be happy to know that the next thing that happens in the Genesis story is God promising incredible things and great blessing and fruitfulness for Ishmael. And then also, it's one of my favorite scenes in Scripture, God himself appears to Hagar, this slave woman who has been overlooked and rejected and put upon her entire life. God, the king of glory, comes and sits with her, converses with her, asks her questions, comforts her, blesses her in incredible ways. It's a beautiful exchange. And then, from then on, I love this, Hagar calls Yahweh the God who sees me. She spent her whole life being looked over and looked past, being invisible to an oppressive world. And then the king of glory comes, changes that entirely. And she goes, my God is the God who sees me. As we just saw, God's go-to move from start to finish is to find the marginalized, find the socially and the economically oppressed and rejected and lift them up. We've seen it two times now just in this story. Okay, but that's the Genesis story. Let's go back to Galatians. Remember, he said, what do we do? And they get kicked out. Okay, what's happening here, I'm pretty sure Paul's point that he's making here in Galatians is that these false teachers who are causing all this trouble, I think he's saying they need to get kicked out of the church um, the same way that Hagar and Ishmael were kicked out of the family. Like, you gotta, you gotta go, okay? So what do we do? We don't abide by the lies. They gotta be pushed out. We'll more on that in a minute. Uh, so last couple verses here. Verse 31, so dear brothers and sisters, We are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. We talked about this a a few times now. Paul is in a pretty foul mood while he's writing this letter because he's hurting. Like he's angry, he is grieving, and he's being really insistent, and he's doing it here now. He's like, guys, no, just don't, just don't. God did not set you free to not be free. You need to actually be free. Walk in freedom. Live it out. Go be free already. That's what he's saying. I'm I'm not trying to be flippant or dismissive or overly casual with the text. That's what he's doing. It's like, guys, enough. Like, stop choosing slavery. Go be liberated. All right. So he's very clear about that. The trouble, though, I think, at least in part, is that maybe, and I just want us to think about this in our own minds, take what I say and sort of plug it into our own lives, maybe we don't really know what that means. Because we live in a society where the idea of freedom, that definition is trying to be hijacked a million different ways. Like, what does it mean for you in your life to go and be free? Um, I think we've actually seen a number of hints of it already already in our text, but so I'm just going to go through a couple of things that, that are maybe counter definitions to what we hear in our society about what freedom is and isn't. Okay, first of all, freedom is not, and this is often assumed by some, some scary large percentage of people, 
Uh, freedom is not the ability to just do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, all the time. And for a lot of people, I think that's the default definition. That's freedom. I can do what I want when I want. Freedom. Um, that's, like, I don't want to be mean, but that's an almost hysterically naive perspective. It really is. Like, if you think about it for a minute, then you, you know better. And yet it's the default for so many. Real freedom isn't about keeping all the options open. It's about having the wisdom and the power to eliminate options. Um, it's really Paul's main point here. Just, just stay with me. He, he's saying, guys, you have a choice. There's like two systems out there. One leads to slavery. One leads to freedom. You have to eliminate one option and choose the way of freedom. If you want to actually be free, then you have to eliminate the options that lead to slavery. So what's it going to be, law or faith, slavery or freedom? If you want to be free, you have to cut one of those options out entirely. So think of it this way. In order to liberate, you have to deliberate. In order to liberate, you have to deliberate. I'm sure you guys probably noticed it's not super subtle that it's been liberate. But today it's like, what's it called again? Is it deliberate? Yeah. Isn't it strange that right in the word deliberate, which is, okay, I've got options here. I've got to weigh them. I've got to decide how am I going to move here? What's my choice? That liberate is embedded in the word deliberate. Because ultimately, we find freedom not by saying all my options are available to me. We find freedom by deliberating, making a choice, and rejecting the options that will ultimately enslave you. So in order to liberate, you have to deliberate. Freedom isn't about having all paths available. It's about having the capacity to choose the wise one. So let me give you a couple of examples. And with these examples, I'm just trying to pick the most common ones that you can connect with. I'm not trying to pick on anyone. We've you know, we all got stuff, right? So I'm not doing that. But, but these are the most common examples, I think. Where, where the idea of freedom gets, gets twisted. The first is around the idea of sexual freedom. Okay, what's sexual freedom? Well, by default, it's I can do what I want, when I want, how I want, etc. But guys, I'm just going to tell you the truth. The best, the very best possible, most fulfilling, most life-giving sex to be found in the world is in being faithful to one person in marriage forever, period. That's the truth. The other paths are ultimately destructive, and they're ultimately enslaving. And so again, to liberate, you have to deliberate. If you actually want to be freedom, to have freedom, then it is choosing faithfulness, okay? Um, uh, here's another one. Again, not trying to poke, on any, poke at anybody. These are just common examples. Freedom isn't being able to drink as much alcohol as you might ever want to drink. Now, I know some people go, oh, well, that's a thing, and that's freedom, and I can do what I want. And like, Here's the thing, that's just a pathway, and we know this, that's a pathway that leads to addiction, and addiction is slavery. I can't think of a better definition for slavery than addiction. And so clearly that's not a path that leads to freedom, it's a path that leads to enslavement. And we all know that, you know, Paul says do not be drunk with wine because it leads to debauchery, which is another way of saying don't be drunk with wine because it ruins your life. So it's like, yeah, don't do the stuff that ruins your life and then call it freedom. Freedom is making the choice to abstain or making the choice to drink in moderation. Freedom is cutting off the option to drink in excess because it enslaves us. And God 
giving us that boundary, that's tracks for us to run on. That's just kindness. All right, one more, just for good measure. Freedom isn't being able to say whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want it. I go, I can say what I want. It's a free country. Well, yeah, but is that your idea of freedom? I don't know about you, but when my filter breaks and my dumb brain spits out something awful and I don't catch it before it comes out, you know what it does for me? It ruins everything. It just makes everything worse. And you go down that road, you live down that path, you end up completely enslaved. A slave, you're in a prison of your own making, of your tongue's own making. That's not freedom. Freedom is the power to have restraint and then speak the truth in love. Again, I hope you see it. In order to liberate, you have to deliberate. Here's another idea. Freedom is similar. Uh, freedom isn't having an open mind to anything and everything. In some sense, yes, and then in some sense, no. Let me say what I mean by that. Um, I, I want to remind you that Paul is saying, hey, you actually have to cut out and remove the false teachers. They got to go. They gotta, it's not just, okay, I give them an audience. He's like, no, no, no. No, those are lies, and they have to go. Okay, so it's an expression of their freedom to go, actually, no, we're not going to listen to what we know isn't true. Freedom is having the wisdom to recognize lies and the power to cut them out. Jesus taught in John chapter 8, it's the truth that will set you free. Okay, it's the truth that will set you free. If we're going to walk in the truth, that means we're not walking in lies. Um, he went on later in the same chapter to say that Satan is a liar and the father of lies, and we know his intention is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Freedom isn't the capacity to be open to anything. It's the capacity to deliberate. It's the power to recognize and expel the liar who wants to steal, kill, kill and destroy, to enslave. Okay, last one. Another lie about freedom is that it is, and this, this isn't a lot of you, but this might hit some of you, so just lean in just in case, just in case. Um, freedom is not found in a life without commitment. And that's some people's idea. It's like, oh, I can do whatever I want. You know, no one relying on me. No one requires anything of me. There are no restrictions, no burdens upon my time. There are no commitments that limit my ava availability to anything. And to a lot of people, that sounds like freedom. I just want to tell you, that is a massive distortion. Guys, it's just such a vicious lie. And, and it's also really easy to fall for. Um, it's bottom line. A life without commitment and service to others is a life without purpose. And a life without purpose is a life marked by unbearable suffering. We were designed for community. We were designed for interdependence. We were designed to rely on one another, for me to rely on you and you to rely on me. Without that, we don't have purpose. It's human nature for this, and it's dehumanizing, and it's enslaving to try and live without that. You know, in our text, uh, Paul, we've said this, he's, he's grieving, he's sad, he's angry, he's disappointed, he's betrayed. Why? Because he cares deeply in these people. He's invested in them. He loves them. He's committed to these people. He's burdened for these people. I want to be clear. It is hard to carry those burdens. The fact is, it is slavery and it is death not to. Because that ultimately is a life without love. And guys, a life without love is hell itself. It is. 
by in investing, committing to a cause, to one another, to people you love, to something larger than yourself. That's not enslavement. That's choosing to live into your design, into your purpose, into your mission. If you choose not to commit to anything or anyone, do not call that freedom. Call it what it is, which is, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, I just really think it's true. It's choosing to be bound in the pit of hell. It really, really is. Okay, I know it was kind of heavy. Um, band, come on up. I should just say David, Nicole. <laughs> so a couple more minutes here. I, I just, as we wrap up, I, ooh. as we wrap up, I want to ask you to check your pulse on something. Like, I want you to be honest and reflective and just check in with yourself. How do you, when you really think about this, how do you, deep down, how do you feel about the rules? The rules from the Lord. Not the ones that get added along the way. No, no, the, the rules from the Lord. The last thing I want to happen is for people to go, oh, I go to the vineyard, we studied Galatians, now I know that rules are oppressive and Jesus died to set me free, so rules are bad. Uh, you could get there. That would be the wrong conclusion. Actually, let's, let's go back to the ladder. Let's go back to this illustration. I think it's the simplest way. If for you, the rules are about climbing your way up the ladder so that you might be accepted by God, then I want to be clear, absolutely, that's pure oppression. That's slavery. And it is a crushing weight that if you try to carry will turn you against everyone and ultimately will turn you against God. It's pure oppression. But if you know that you have been declared righteous, made righteous by faith alone, then you will want nothing more than to live well for Jesus out of sheer gratitude. And if that's the case, then the rules are pure gift to you. If you're desperate to live your life in a way that pleases the Lord because you're grateful and not afraid, then the fact that he would tell you what he expects of us, that is just utter kindness. You know what it is? It's tracks for you to run on. It's tracks for you to run on. The, the golden rule, which came from Jesus, by the way, uh, treat people the way you'd like to be treated. That's not oppressive. It's not. You know what it is? You know what it is? Treat people the way you'd like to be treated? Guys, it's a cheat code for all of life. You live by that principle and you will find blessing and joy and freedom increasingly in every avenue of your life. It is a cheat code for your thriving and the thriving of the people around you. That's not oppression. That's tracks to run on, guys. It's tracks to run We need rails to run on. A train off the tracks is a disaster, full stop. A derailment is tragic. And people who live without the rules are just, they're just runaway, runaway trains. And they're a, they're a disaster. And they harm everyone who comes near them. We need the tracks. They're pure kindness. If liberation, think of it this way, if liberation is the power of deliberation, then it is pure gift that the God who 
is love, who is wisdom itself, if he's already done much of the deliberation for us, that's just kindness. It's just gift. And so again, that's the nature of the rules. It's God saying, hey, I love you more than you love you. I also know everything. And I know that this path is better than that one. That's just kindness. It's just kindness.